And like you, he uses his identity in his art. I really like him. Do you? Yeah, I love that. I think all men are dogs. I honestly do. You know, every man starts barking sooner or later. something calm, slow, and reflective. So, Sam Smith is trending on Twitter again. Pop Crave just tweeted that this is the first year that there wasn't a man nominated for a Video of the Year award. There are some very annoying people very upset by that tweet. They don't really matter, so, whatever. They're in the Twitter firing line a lot. Before that, it was because they thought it was a good idea to post for pictures with a cop at Pride. And then there's all the music videos they've been putting out over the past couple of years, and all those reactions. It has been a rainbow of opinions about Sam from beyond the usual suspects. Clock the pun. <laughs> some of those critiques were justified. Some were just mean about their body, their clothing, their queerness. On the other side of gay Twitter, we're also talking about Troy Sivan, the supreme twink of the moment. A few days earlier, he was the number one trending topic on Twitter after the release of his video for Rush. The reaction was mixed. Some were celebrating his queerness and pushing it to another top 40 for him in the UK. There's also some very valid critiques to be made about everything that it's missing. So. Why am I talking about these two? Okay, to be very clear, we are not about to start comparing them to make a value judgment about their personalities or their lives or their work. We are committed to kindness here, when appropriate. I find the reaction online by queer people towards them and their work to be fascinating and worth having a conversation about in the context of queerness and stardom today. To set the scene, do either I or my guest think of them as the face of the queer community? No. Do we want or expect them to be? Hard no. I also can't say that either has gone out of their way to claim the title of role model for the queer community or anyone else for that matter. But, like a lot of queer celebrities and stars, whenever they are being perceived as failing to meet that role, the queer online reacts. You could argue that despite not wanting to be a spokesperson, their work reflects queer culture today, or at the least is deeply related to it. That's not even mentioning queer culture being in these examples, the reference, the art, and the product being packaged for the mainstream. Okay, so one point goes to meeting a queer audience's expectations is necessary in that instance. And when you don't, <laughs> you should be hearing about it. You could also say that maybe in the representational gaps present in their work, 
They're exposing truths about how queer people are actually existing in the world and culture today, which makes their moments of failure even more pronounced. Then there's some tougher questions, like, should one be judged more harshly for selling a Benetton ad version of queer community to non-queer audiences? Should they be judged more harshly than another one who is selling a beige sample-sized version of queerness to a vast and expansive and diverse queer audience? I don't know. So I called up my friend Sunday. We had a conversation about it. They are a teacher, a drag performer, and one of the funniest people I know. In this conversation that you're about to hear, we cover the topics of the mainstreaming of queerness, intentionality and representation, and just what the hell has been going on with Adina Menzel. Please be forgiving of the audio. I tried my best, but I'm still learning. We had a lot of fun recording it. I hope you enjoy it. You can find Sunday on the apps at MJSUNDI. Okay. Goodbye. gigging over the weekend so it's important mm-hmm. and so what have you been gigging how's that been going the last one was cute it was um Stourbridge pride like Stourbridge is like this little this town in the west midlands you're more likely yeah. to spend all doing wild party deep cuts than the new what song she has sung about the beast i'm a beast baby <laughs> you're Adina's beast that would have been fun stop it no <laughs> i feel <laughs> i feel like we need to push for our queen i want this to work out for her I want more driveway performances. <laughs> the gag is, the song's good. I like the song. Is it? It's, yeah, I think it's fun. Like, if it came on at, like, 1am in the club, I'm going to be dancing. But it's because you'd already be in the flow. I just don't know. I just don't know about what Adina's doing. She has Nile Rodgers on the album, so I'll be here for that, and I will listen to that song. But I think if what? one is to do, like, good disco music, and they are mm-hmm. of Caucasian persuasion, it's gonna uh, be an ex-theatre girly. Sure, but I just, if it's gonna be good disco music, then let it be good disco music. Ah, I get it, but I do, I do get what you mean, but at the same time, if I'm in the flow, it's not gonna switch anything off. Like, I'm not gonna run into the dance floor for it, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm I'm gonna be barking out a harmony if I hear it in the club, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do, I do. I mean, I, I'm not against it. I, I'm rooting for her. I want this to work out. I want this to be successful. I want her renaissance. I think that'll be fun. Stop it, I've been a mental renaissance. <laughs> No, but the gag is you talk about it like she doesn't already have like accolades and whatnot to her name. Like she makes uh, for a Tony in the same musical that they're both in together. I mean, I know. It's just that it feels like she's kind of wandered off the path a little bit. I don't know what she's doing. I blame Frozen. I blame Disney World. I, I think she's resting. Saying that though, do we uh, not part of SAG? Is she part of SAG? I know she probably is. So she's probably yeah, she's probably striking right now. It is so I mean, There's always a theater. Maybe she'll go back to the theater. Well, saying that, I feel like Broadway needs to do a cute little strike every now and then because mm-hmm. all the similar people, though, aren't they? All the big Broadway heavy hitters are going to be part of SAG. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of inspirational. Like, I don't want everybody to start striking. Why have we never had a general strike? <laughs>
Why is that not something we've done already? What are we waiting for? The world sucks. We should do something about it. The actors on strike, the writers are on strike. We've had yeah. um, public workers in the UK strike. Teaching oh, staff are being on strikes. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, today we had a big strike because of what Brighton Uni is doing. I don't know if you've heard about it. Ooh, I've not heard of this. No, tell me more. Oh my God. Oh, this has been the latest. Brighton Academia. There's been a lot of cut by Brighton Uni, specifically for the arts and the humanities, as you'd expect. The last thing I saw was that they are preparing to get rid of 25 faculty members who've been there for a while they're just like really slashing it kind of feels like the end days of Brighton Uni it's very dire it's very dire a similar thing happened to Wolverhampton Uni actually because um Mm. the university used to have a building specific for the performing arts like it was like this great facility had recording studios Mm. in them these great dance studios these great theatre spaces it was great they shut down and basically shut down all of like the new um cohorts for the Mm. arts subject so that's like an entire faculty of the arts that had just been out of existence and that happened at Wolverhampton Uni and the girls yeah. were not happy and rightfully so. Something's in the water, something's coming. I feel so. I feel like there's something happening. I just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just being optimistic, but after COVID and the downfall of society or the, the pause of society, I hope that we're all more willing to just be fed up with situations that we're unhappy with. It feels like that's what's manifesting right now, but um, I've I, I, I'm always just distrustful of the idea that institutions that have been there before me would crumble. I just want them to crumble so that we could have the next thing, the better thing. But mm. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to be there joining the fight, uh, even though if I don't know where the hell is going to lead us. But I hope it's somewhere good. Yeah, but I'm not being funny with the way that things have been in a post-COVID quote-unquote world, people are just thinking, right, we don't have to put up with this. People can think inventively and creatively. That's why I feel like people are really kind of stepping up and stroking more and people are sharing more information about things that aren't really talked about. Like, I think it was um, Kimiko Glenn, our girl from Centaur World, sharing mm-hmm. her rules from Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was like, wasn't she like a lead on that show? And that's what she was getting. And the guy playing, who plays Uncle Johnson? Uncle Johnson. In Abbott Elementary. I forget his name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, shared his, and it was like, what, three cents an episode? And it's like, that's mad. And this then, is and it's just embarrassing. Like, it's embarrassing for, like, how is this what you're paying people for the work that they do for you? It's disgusting. Yeah. I hate money. I hate money so much. <laughs> but I am, I do agree with you. I think it's really, it's a really positive and heartening step to see the way that people are just trying to be more transparent about the money that they're making, because it feels like like that's probably the only way to actually move forward in terms of getting the things that we need and want, because I think a large of what is happening is that we don't know how much money these people have. I mean, we genuinely don't know. We just have estimates and um, how much money they're taking, from us, even though, you know, it's poison. But if money was invented so we could all have equity how much they are preventing that by hiding it's getting harder to make money it's getting harder to survive in this world because of how we've structured things uh, or how we've allowed for things to be structured yeah that now you're seeing even the people who are the richest trying to expand their revenue incomes and it's, that's why when like most of us are living just day to day like talking about music i just think about well, the fact how streaming has really impacted the way that we consume music and mm. our music made because like the song rush is really short that song is the same height as troy savan tiny <laughs> oh i just caught that <laughs> <I dare you. laughs> but like that song is so short and the video is like 
four minutes long, but sometimes like two and a half minutes long to stream because if your song is shorter, get more. And it's stream- a long song by like today's standards. That Barbie song by Nicki Minaj and I Spice is a minute and a half. That that's an interlude. That is that is Janet Jackson moaning. Yeah, it would have been one of the interludes that we would have deleted from the album. <laughs> I mean, uh, hmm, well, but pivoting it back to Troy, it's like Troy Sivan's kind of uprising quite what I think is an interesting space for queer musicians because of the way that music is kind of shifting and changing. And yeah. you hear more about people because they are going viral on TikToks and the girls are doing challenges for, oh, mm. do this, I do, 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 do. And yeah. Troy is like stepping in doing his own kind of vocal delivery, which is a lot more, I'd say, sitting down. You don't need to stand for this kind of song. Okay, then, shall we just get into it? The topic that brought us together? Absolutely, I think it's time to. Let's go. I just spent the last 10 minutes before we got into this call listening to that song again and listening to Sam Smith's I'm Not Here to Make Friends and also that awful, awful, awful new song that they did with Madonna. Volga. Which... Like Madonna's song, Volga. it's kind of like... It has the kind of thing that only Madonna can get away with in that she has, done, she has contributed so much to the mm-hmm. pop culture, zeitgeist and culture that... Sure. She can do what she wants. Like, are you being nice because she's in the hospital? I forgot she was still in the hospital. No, I've I've been for a long time about Madonna. But yeah, and Sam Smith's kind of there for the ride, I guess. Which more power to them. Yeah, I just appreciate the fact that uh, she stepped up and released a song with them because it felt like, oh, she's standing with this person who's been getting a lot of heat for their past releases. So that's always nice to see Madonna doing. I hope she's doing well so that she can come back and, I don't know, find a new culture to steal from. Oh, I'd like to see her. Uh, I'd like to see her. She was Latina a couple of years ago. Now, I don't. I want to know what she's going to be next. What do you think? She was what, a couple of years ago? She was Latina. Don't you remember the Madame X era? That was Latina? That was something. That was that like... That was Latina. Oh. <laughs> that was Madonna by way of Rosalia. <laughs> right, you need to stop. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I don't need to stop. She needs to stop. Just like release a ballad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But yeah, Troy and Sam. So, do you like the song? Do you like this Rush song? I do. It's fun. In context, it's not like, oh, yeah, they're playing Rush. I'm going to run to the dance floor. It's the kind yeah. of song that you're in the club and it's like, oh, we're going we're gonna to elevate what we're doing, but it won't take me out of a conversation in the smoking area to run to dance mm-hmm. to it. What do you like, think is like the intention of it? What got me about the song was that it's definitely a narrative and a piece of work that is about um queer joy and queer revelry the fact that it's like you know named after a brand of poppers which people are going to think about one of two things the dance mm-hmm. floor the room and <laughs> kind of sites which have kind of been politicized under the queer lens as spaces where we can kind of breathe yeah want a better wording <laughs> breathe we can sniff yeah but we um <laughs> But with that kind of already being part of the build-up to it, and with the narrative of the song being about sex, yeah, it's just about the abandon of queer joy, but without it being like sparkly, 
glittery queer joy. It's underground, for want of a better word. It's very like there's, there's a sweatiness to the song and the story. There's yeah, the but it is polished, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's absolutely mm. polished. But like there's the sweatiness to it, there's like mm. I don't know if is the right word, but there's the sense that this isn't the pride that you show the pictures of to your mom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but like, like I, I, it's really interesting that you brought up pride because that is what I was just about to say. It's giving pride party. It's giving like actual in in the crowd of uh, trying to like avoid a sequin, catching whatever shirt you have on or catching your skin, getting drinks spilled on you. It's smelling the smell of rush in the air, smelling poppers in the air. Like that, I feel like is what it's aiming to get you feeling. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That is exactly yeah. what I get from it as well. That just that sense of debauchery and that yeah. sense of we're talking about the naughty thing out in public. Like we're talking about this in front of everyone, and it's fun and it's joyous. And I really do like the song. Yeah, I like the song too. Actually, I, I sort of wormed its way into my head, and I like the chorus. Um, I think, and I, I think I, I have a general soft spot for Troy Sivan. Um, like I really liked their his last releases. Uh, well, some of them anyway. And like, I like his existence in the pop sphere. And I think he's going to make interesting pop music. I'm glad that he's doing pop music and isn't doing like anything. I mean, not to bring Sam Smith too early into the conversation, but anything modeling, you know, into it. Well, old Sam Smith, anything like this too ballady. It feels like he's trying to be a main pop girly. And that feels cool and in a way new. But I don't know how far into the age of the twink we are. But I mean, I feel like Troy Sivan is the king twink of the moment, right? I I want to agree with that. Yeah, it's very much one of those situations where we are kind of seeing a repeat of like late um, 90s, early noughties kind of vibes and aesthetics. Oh. And some of that is the twink and the pretty boy. Mm. And with Troy, everything feels quite genuine. Like The first Troy Sivan song that really struck out to me was Bloom. Mm-hmm. And, I listened, and I, when I first listened to it, I was like, he's not trying to give a big crazy vocal, but he's telling the story of the song really well. And it has and it's the a song, song about that. Let, oh, it's a song yeah. about Gaza. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the there was an element of like almost like a whimsical failure use of the metaphor, like the whole mm-hmm. thing to my garden. That was mm-hmm. already kind of like a very kind of light and floaty lyric. It was it was given like Shakespearean twink. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's giving very Leo, isn't it? Like Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> Very that. Bloom. Bloom. But yeah, and when you have that kind of gentle, kind of almost like ethereal vibe, but how do you mm. kind of get that? But Troy kind of did that being like, okay, you've had Shakespeare's twink. Now he's like Skin's twink. And yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He's giving Nikki. Was it Nikki? Or is it Maxi? Maxi. Oh, Maxi. He's giving Maxi. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like, that's fun. That's fun. That's why I feel like people gravitate towards the song, though, because obviously there's a lot of intention, a lot of deliberate choices made. It doesn't look like a typical glitzy, shiny pop girl music video. It does look like... It, it feels like a gay pop music video, which I have to give Troy. It feels like um, it feels like a gay video. There's a gay video, there's a faggot video. It's queer. Like, the video feels queer, whether I, like... Uh, even though I have all these feelings or thoughts about what I think it represents and what it's doing, I think one thing I can't take away from it is it's a very queer product and it is not shy about, about putting that front and center, which is cool. 
as like a kid of the 90s when we didn't have that like oh that's really cool mm-hmm. yeah but that brings in questions about well what kind of queer video because i this isn't a video for me that is something that i i can identify immediately this video wasn't necessarily made for me i feel like it was made for a very specific kind of audience i'm included in but i'm not the primary part of i think that's the best way to word it to be fair it's an audience that yeah mm-hmm. you would the most succinct possible way it's not, I mean, it's not my pride party. It's the pride party I'd go to with a friend, but wouldn't go out of my way to go there. It's a pride party that you were being paid to perform at. <laughs> that, that, that feels rude. <laughs> what the heck am I going to do at this pride party? What, what, what numbers would I do? Please tell me. Twirl. You're going to twirl. <laughs> I'm just going to twirl. <laughs> it's a go-go gig. <laughs> I did feel like it was for a specific audience. Like, and no shades to that audience, but when artists do make these kinds of things, people are going to talk about what is and what isn't there. And when what isn't there is people of a different body type or body type, because everyone was either like skinny or ripped. Yeah. I mean, it's a cocky boys theme song. Let's just say it. Cocky boys theme song. Get away am I it. correct? Or am I incorrect? <laughs> I did not say you were wrong. <laughs> I like, that's fine. I'm really glad it exists. I do think that this is trying to aim for everybody. But like, I think who is being thought of as the mainstream queer? And we have still not reached a stage where that is people like us. Yeah, people like us, when we think about the idea of the mainstream queer, they're going to think the RuPaul. The points of reference are going to be RuPaul. Like, Mm. maybe for someone older, maybe Sylvester. Like, maybe someone like Lil Richard. They're not going to think of us as the mainstream queer. But when there are things like this that are put out, mm-hmm. it does feed into that. My thing is, from a narrative kind of perspective, if you're telling a story about queer revelry and queer joy and queer sex, my question is, who are you saying has access to those things? Right. Who can partake in the debauchery and the dancing and the grooving and the poppers and the whatnot? Like, who, who are you leaving out of that? Through, mm. through for specific intention, that's immaterial. But who is left out of that art and that piece of work? If this is the utopia, the queer utopia that you're imagining, who is it missing, right? Because mm. there are gaps here. And I feel like those gaps are because, let's say, the mainstream queer cultural imagination uh, is making space still, obviously, uh, for a very specific type of understanding of queerness that continues to erase many, many people. And I think that that could be the source of some of the reaction that this video has been receiving lately, whether that's justified or not. There's an anxiety here that this kind of typifies. Absolutely. Yeah, I love what you said about it, touching on um, how are you imagining the queer utopia? I really love that because, you know, I think for a song like this, it is safe to argue that it is trying to establish and frame a utopia. Um, yeah. Reaction to it, oh, it stressed me out because there are people that are rightfully saying, where are the fat people? Mm-hmm. Uh, rightfully saying, you know, this is a lot of white people. Like, understandably so, I'm never going to be someone that wants people to not talk about art. What annoying mm-hmm trying to shut down those questions and saying, oh, well, everything can't be for everybody and da 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 And mm-hmm. I had someone actually say to me, and they since deleted that tweet because they realised it was a wrong thing to say, that <laughs> okay. you can't represent a whole population of people within the space of, like, you know, four dancers. And it's a fool's errand to try and do that. And it's like, yeah, it's we're not always going to get things right representation. We're not. Mm-hmm. We don't get yeah. better 
expectations being had. We don't. This song also is part of this interesting step of queer music, where we've entered the post-empowerment era, where it's kind of more so about representing ideas of truth and maybe it's personal truth to this artist. So it makes this narrative of empowerment that is not necessarily being foisted on it but or expected from it even, but like that is being discussed in relation to it. It does make it fit in a bit awkwardly. It's trying to both serve as representation, but also it's trying not to do yeah, I like what you said about the idea of empowerment mm. and it being songs that speak to particular truth because it makes me think of the way that I kind of think about the song in that it's definitely like a queer pride song, but it's mm. elements of pride that aren't what you would show to your straight family members because it's too much to explain. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to explain to my mum why people are sniffing poppers in the club. Like, and what poppers are. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. It's the kind of thing that it's so stark and so honest that we get in other styles of music, like the mm. old styles that, that run and talk about Kanekalan and Cinnamon. They're not explaining what Kanekalan is. This is for the for the girls that know. It is not just one certain kind of person that mm. would be in on the nods and winks that exist in the song rush and in the music video. It is a much wider variety of people that would be in on that kind of thing, which is where I think we're kind of getting the friction. And I think that is kind of problematized by Troy's statement in that interview that he just didn't think of it. He just didn't spring to mind, which yeah. is telling, but also affirming in that it wasn't a malicious thing. But the nature of representation, if you are not on it constantly and thinking about it constantly, you yeah. are going to be harmful systems. You just are. Yeah, it's symptomatic. It's not malicious. It's symptomatic of something larger, which is the exactly. main issue. Exactly. And... Troy even putting his hand up saying, like, I'll take the L. I didn't think about it. None of us thought about it. Didn't deliberately say, no, fat mm. people. But it happened and the video's out now. The fact that Troy said that and people like, oh, yeah, this is the best thing. This is the worst thing you could have said. Da, 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 da. I think it was like, bang on, honest yeah. thing to say. He also recently came up with a follow-up statement where he said about how he had feelings about the way that people were speaking about his body, which I thought was, okay, that's an interesting complication to add into the mix. But I, I I completely understand that and I respect that and I'm sure it's very difficult just to exist as choice of law in the world and be constantly observed and I'm sure like you can have feelings about and you have very justified feelings about however you want about how people are speaking about your body which they shouldn't be doing but you know the body is a central part of this video this video is about gay male bodies idealized gay male bodies you know it starts with a an ass being slapped you know it's full of gay men in jockstraps dancing against each other like the body sexual joy sexual liberation is part of this narrative i'm surprised that that wasn't anticipated as something that was going to come up i have to say i understand that but talking about especially like queer male bodies can get mm. very difficult because there is a, a history of the very nature of what happens within the queer male body leading towards like, severe health issues. Like thinking about like mm. the AIDS, if a body didn't look healthy, yeah, like then that would have been almost like a mark against you and how you navigate society, whether you were sick or not. Mm-hmm. So when there are the implications that people are saying to Troy, like, oh, go eat a sandwich, you skinny twing. I'm not going to say that was upsetting. I'm not going to say that Troy's fan being upset by that is unfounded, because first of all, it's just mean. Right. It's metabolism. It but when we talk about the idea of ridiculing yeah. bodies, those are other things that we need to contextualise. I had a conversation with someone who mm. was someone that did say, oh, why are people talking about this? And I was like, hold up, I'm your friend. 
So I'm going to call you in a little bit. So I kind of challenged him on that. And he talked about how, as someone that is really quite thin, he will say that it's not always a bed of roses, specifically, for mm. game. And I was thinking, you know, contextually, that's right. And he mentioned the gay men of his age as well that isn't brought up in the conversation, which frustrates me because people get sick of discourse when they've only really got to the surface level. Like, how are you right. sick of people just walked on the sand? You haven't got into the coral reef, you haven't got into the deck, you haven't seen the sharks, you haven't seen, like, you know, the, the scatterback. No, no, enough. <laughs> enough. <laughs> people didn't get deep enough into the discourse to really kind of get some nuances before they dismissed it. But that's the whole thing right. about me to see and how people talk about things which that's my own stuff I need to unpack. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> and I feel you on that one. So in, in the spirit of that, both engaging with things and the context of things critically at a deeper level. And also, I think, bringing empathy into it, because I think empathy is important, especially as two queer people talking about other queer people. What you were saying about the reaction towards queer male bodies and the way that other queer people discuss them specifically is really interesting, because it made me think of from my film studies days when I... I had a lecturer talk to me about the action hero and the way that you could hypothesize that it happened as a reaction to the AIDS crisis, the dawning of the hyper homoerotic masculine action male star, this revival of physique bodies magazines happening as a reaction to the bodies of uh, gay men with HIV and AIDS as a way to further shun them and reject them. And like you were saying, as a way to kind of the idea that of like health being represented in your being. I think there is something there that I think we need to be careful about and like take account of and maybe a useful context to bring in when talking about how we have had these things passed on to us through culture, through gay and queer culture specifically about the need to have a very specific kind of body. How we can still feel tendrils about to this day. And when you see all these all these comments that are being levied against an artist like Troy Sivan or, or even Lil Nas X, I think it's really important to like, you know, like to take account of how we've used that same language to talk about our people and how we did that for insidious ways. And so how these practices are still with us now. And maybe we need to be more aware of why so that we don't use them to cause further harm. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. But I feel like I'm going to sound old here, but people don't know how recent these things were. Mm-hmm. I feel like people are quite detached from how recent and present rhetoric around HIV and AIDS is and how we're not that detached from it. Like We only got crap now, like recently. Yeah. Living memory. And not everyone's on it. Yeah, exactly. Like, think mm-hmm. about, so I was talking about, let's say, the 90s, right? Yeah. Moesha was about. <laughs> Trail in the streets. Good old Moesha. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to see how you link this back to your point, Moesha. Go on. <laughs> Just to be clear, remember? And if you think mm. about, like, if we're talking about me, because I was a, I was like quite a young kid back then, if that was mm. just kind of in the grown-ups kind of cultural zeitgeist, it can't be that, that detachment. And yeah. this is the same generation of people that we are learning queerness from. Like, yeah. always kind of contextualise my own queerness as whose shoulders am I standing on? Whose heels am I walking? Have I had my walking in? Mm. And and it's always people that I always think, oh, that's lifted feels. I didn't think of that through line connecting to me. Here we are, right. some obvious than others, but we do learn our queerness from the queer people before us. And with mm. that, means that they kind of had in their cultural kind of zeitgeist, their cultural kind of framing. We've inherited it. And like you said, if you were not aware that those, those are inherited ideas or ideals, 
we are just going to be repeating the stuff that we need to be unpacking and working through. But I do feel right. like living in COVID and lockdowns and a wider public health scare, mm. uh, public health crisis, yeah. that has... There must have been some kind of impact on how queer people go about interacting with each other and yeah. what that did because a lot of queer people lost access to other queer people because of that. Mm. Yeah, but, but that also would have affected with every, all the queer spaces kind of rushing to online. When mm. we do have stuff happening outside of the internet, there is almost that kind of disconnect with how we talk about these things because these aren't queer people that we're going to be seeing in the club. These are the queer people that live in our phones. So there's a yeah. which you already kind of get with elements of celebrity. Wouldn't that be yeah. exacerbated by the way that queer people kind of queer people are still in that the hangover of moving from online spaces to real life spaces that can lead to mm. really, really unhelpful conversations, especially when it comes to people's bodies, especially talking about people's bodies in the context of parties and partying. Which is why yeah, I feel like, like Troy and you know and Sam Smith because their kind of trajectory in music now from being this kind of very kind of grounded, very kind of pathos driven balladeurs into <laughs> Shanties. <the> Shanties, yes. <laughs> non elusive Shanties. The non elusive Shanties. The Shanties She's right are, there. She's right yeah. there in every corner waiting for us. <laughs> Again. Obviously, I'm just like wanting to get this over with and get on with my life. This is a big inconvenience for me. <laughs> Moving to space like with Unholy, with Kim Petras, and this song mm-hmm. with um, Madonna, and this new kind of brazenness. People yeah. don't know handle that because because of their little kind of social media bubbles where they're not used to seeing like a fat queer person being that kind of brazen or brassy or just kind of in your face and messy and problematic because Sam Smith, they've, they've said some things that have raised an eyebrow. Like I remember at the... Um, I've taken some pictures that have raised an eyebrow recently too. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what were they doing? Were they like flirting with police people my eye go blind every time i try and look at that picture stop it it was like <laughs> took a picture with like a policeman important like the policeman was black important enough <laughs> i think that the kind of important those optics are opticianing something about it was giving you remember when adele was dressed like jamaica <laughs> stop it delian <laughs> like and that's what it's giving <laughs> anyway i dropped but i mean we started talking about sap smith now Let's go back to, I think, before even Unholy, like the first blip on my radar about this new era of Sam Smith was when they released, and I just watched this video for I'm Not Here to Make Friends. Do you know that song? That is the music video that caused an outrage in the UK for Sam Smith walking around like a harlot, I guess. Oh, oh, I know which video you mean. I know which one you mean. I don't yeah, mean. That, I think like, that was pretty unholy. Yeah, yeah, pretty unholy. I know which one you mean, yeah. That gagged me because I knew where the outrage was going to come from seeing that video. People have been naked. People, people, people are fucking out here. I feel like there's a thing that's made for queer people to tell their own stories. Mm-hmm. But there's also that thing of you can tell your own story, but make it for a certain audience. Okay, go on. Like, this whole thing of I'm not here to make friends, I'm here to fuck. That could be <laughs> telling their own particular story of being in, you know, a sexual space, all that kind of thing. But still marketing it towards the idea that, oh, straight people and cis people are going to have to understand this. But mm-hmm. they're going to need to weigh into it. 
I had to kind of get the reference points I'm trying to make. Like, okay. Which is, I think that's a bit of a nuance when I think about it now. But it's not as, I don't think it's as cynical, I think, as this is for straight people. It's like, there's enough for for straight people to kind of come along to the party. Okay, but so you think that this is gearing for a queer audience to buy the song? Because for me, it felt like, and I, I don't, I, I, especially after our conversation about Troy specifically, like, I don't want to feel like I'm being too harsh on Sam, even though that their music often isn't my favorite. I feel like this had an element of selling queerness to like a mainstream audience. I don't want to say straight, a mainstream audience, let's say. While Troy is catering to a developing gay audience, specifically a niche audience, while I feel like Sam is not shooting for that with this. But, yeah, I no, I kind of agree with you to, to a degree. It is still Sam Smith's truth. Like, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, Sam Smith, you don't get down the dark rooms, red hair, tear, like, you don't go to the club and Because I don't know them. I'm not their friend. Really shady. But I don't know them. <laughs> you don't know her. Oh, yeah. I don't know her. I'm, I don't know them on book. So I can't sit there and say that that's not genuine. But what I can say is that it does look like something that is very kind of meticulously put together. Lizzo. It's lizzo Ooh. This hmm. package feel good, but gay. Or queer, rather. Package. I feel like it's interesting that I'm reaching for gay because it feels like it's aiming for... I don't know, that it's packaging sort of impression of queerness. I think something you've talked to me about this earlier is that you don't believe Sam, which I thought was a really interesting point. If you could tell me a bit more about that, is that... <laughs> I remember, do you remember that? You were like, there's something about it that I don't, I don't buy it. You started exposing you, even though you were just saying that, like, I can't <laughs> invalidate. <laughs> Let's just be honest, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Well, girl, you said that you think Sam Smith's a liar. No, right. <laughs> I feel like with Sam Smith, there is, when it comes to Sam Smith's product, Sam Smith in interviews, there doesn't seem oh. to be like a relaxed candidness. Like, there doesn't seem right. to be like a coolness to what they're saying and what they're talking about. I don't mean cool in the sense that they're interesting, but there doesn't seem to be a sense of, oh, this is breezy. I am relaxed in this space. Right. There's almost a sense of like, not tentativeness, but something like they are constantly braced or like protecting themselves from something. Mm. That's my perception of them because they did originally go from doing very earnest, heartfelt ballads that are very kind of emotionally exposing yeah. to something that is exposing in a different way. But mm-hmm. there's just something about them that just reads as personally unsettled or something, which is a massive, massive assumption to make about someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to be kinder, we could say that it feels like, I think a phrase that you've used with me before, it feels like a baby game. Yeah, know? yeah. Like, it feels like they are, this is them exploring and we are subjective yeah. to it. You're right, this is them exploring because it is a massive creative swing that has kind of come from nowhere. Mm. I think there's like an element of it that's also a reaction towards the way that queer audiences, the way that we were introduced to them. For me, for the longest time, I really rejected Sam Smith because they were, uh, at the time, identifying as gay, just not publicly. They All their songs were pronounless. So there was like an element of like the glass closet that they were operating under. And I remember feeling a bitterness. And I do think that there's an element of it that I carry with me to their more recent projects when I like approach them. And I wonder if that is something that is factoring into when it comes to Sam and receiving their new material. I think there was an element where we felt like, well, for me anyway, I feel like, well, you spent such a long time building a career 
career where you low-key rejected us and now while I'm encouraging this exploration into queerness you're also like posing with cops at prime so I don't think you're doing your reading but at the same time like I can't sleep on them I hate unholy but like I love that they want a Grammy for it I, th- I think the most iconic thing that Sam Smith was to yell at the Grammy audience to stand up for Kim Petras accept this award because I'm the first uh, transgender woman to win this award. <laughs> and, and I'm so... <laughs> and it's touching on something there where people, other queer people might feel uncomfortable with Sam Smith because mm-hmm. they've come out as non-binary. Um, right. That is that's a radical identity. Label shaky identity. It is and it isn't, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a, but there's an element of holy shit, people are, celebrities are publicly saying these words and publicly speaking about being, being part mm-hmm. of this community. But when someone's community right. is formed in online spaces where people are sharing the information, mm-hmm. then there is Sam Smith who, on top of having a picture with Police at Pride, there was when they won the Oscar for Skyfall and they said that they think they're the, they said something about being the first gay man to win an Oscar. I was like, Mary, you're not even the first gay man to win an Oscar in that category. <laughs> that was an interesting moment that filled in this narrative about Sam Snow. Yeah, definitely. How much are you engaging or connect with the queer people are connecting and engaging with? Because mm-hmm. that's where these questions kind of come to light. Because at this point, I'm not being funny, it's 2023. You should understand yeah. like, people aren't going to be happy with you taking cute little pictures with police at Pride. Yes, you found a yeah. black... Yes, you found someone from the that was black in the police force. But that doesn't <laughs> take away the uncomfortable optics of doing that. Yeah. But and the fact, fact that, like, it feels they were unaware frustrates me. But there was also something involving um, all 2020. That's the mm-hmm. witness of racism. And they were, like, horrified that it still happens. And I can't believe that it still happens. And I sat there and it's like, you were branding yourself as, like, the queer Adele. Trying to be like this queer blue-eyed soul artist, but you're sitting here surprised that racism still happens in the UK. There are so many gaps in public gaps in Sam Smith's knowledge that seem to kind of exist in contradiction to what we expect someone in Sam's position to be aware of. And, and that- someone who has Sam's intention, as they stated, which is to be a queer advocate of queer rights and queer people that is something that they are very much trying to make part of their brand and so i feel like it isn't wrong for us to hold this ex- expectation towards them. Mm-hmm. whereas with troy troy just mm. rocks like i'm australian I'm twink. <laughs> that is true but I, I do want to go back to what you were saying about the fact that sam smith is and um, semi-recently a few years ago came out as non-binary i think that is something that we really should highlight they are someone from turf island who came out as non-binary during a time of like at the heat of anti-trans fervor and we are seem to just continue getting hotter here and that is that is a move and i will say that they're probably one of the earliest pop artists that really came out and i think that is something to be acknowledged at least during the time when they did absolutely yeah especially with them again being from here <laughs> and then mm. like being very british and it's yeah that there, there is yeah there's, i give them their tens for like coming out and whatnot and publicly and talking about these things even if they talk about interesting thing when it comes to non-binary stuff i would grant Smith, all of the grace in the world to get things wrong. Mm-hmm. Not harmful wrong, but just incorrect. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, 
Yeah, I'll grant them the grace to do that because at least mm-hmm. it's something that isn't deliberately trying to be harmful towards us. Yeah. Whereas with other things, I do kind of their expectation is still there for Sam Smith to kind of get things right. But you mentioned something earlier about Sam Smith being this queer advocate, being part of their brand. Now, is it part of their brand or part of their work? Because that's two different things. Okay. I don't know what Sam Smith does in between music stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think in the discourse of representation for queer people, and maybe this whole post-empowerment thing that we've been circling around, I feel like we have reached a point right now within like queer culture where existing isn't enough. But I think that is the burgeoning understanding in terms of how people are actually doing the work that you're describing. I think there is still this conception where it is about existing loudly. And I think that is very much in both Troy and Sam situations here just to bring it back I think that is something that we can see evidence in both of the reactions towards their work where you're selling us this narrative about existing loudly and proudly but we have reached this point now where existing isn't enough I mean I don't know I'm suspicious of all these people who are like in semi-positions of where the things that they do and the people that they are is how they feed themselves and the people that they love so it's all about how you're perceived and how you perceive pays you so I feel like uh, I can't I, I, I am somewhat cynical about it, but like I feel like that is really irrelevant when it comes down to it. It depends on the work like you were talking about that you do. And I just, I think, well, in this position where you have all these privileges and powers, both of them, then double your work because there's a lot more that you could do beyond putting out a song that is waving the new flag or whatever new version of it we get this year. Which side point, I really hate that flag, right? Thank you. Let's say it. Let's speak it out. Come on. When it comes down to it, the initial progress flag, I mm. get what there. I get that. But when everyone's yeah. adding other things onto it, it's like, you can't talk about the expansive needs of a massive community yeah. with the same kind of banner. The specificity is actually helpful. How many of us are graphic designers and illustrators? Design something else. We can do a new flag. We can do something that is like symbolic of everything. It doesn't have to be a rainbow. Can we just change it? Can so, we just change it? Let's have a new design, right? Yeah, like- Please, like... It's, it's getting a, ugly. It's getting really ugly. <laughs> like, Frank Leibowitz said that we're creative, so let's create. Let's, <laughs> come on, let us create. <laughs> you can find Sunday at MJ Sunday on the apps. That is M-J-S-U-N-D-I. And you can find me at also perp. That is A-L-S-O-P-U-R-P. If you have any thoughts or just want to add on to what you heard us talk about, send me a voice note or an email at calladen with three N's at gmail.com. That is K-H-A-L-I-D-E-N-N-N at gmail.com. Alright, that was referential. The Lost Pilot. Shout out to Anjalong and Pampered Fist for lending me their music. You've been hearing it throughout the hour. I hope you think I used it well. Also, shout out to my friends who inspired me to have a play with some audio. Positive reinforcement is encouraged, so leave me a nice review or just let me know online. 
Okay. Goodbye. Bye.